Well, I want to welcome you again this morning. My name is Dion. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. If you're here in the room, if you're online, we're really glad to have you. As we close out our series called Encourage, looking at one final guy from the book of Judges, a guy by the name of Samson, probably the best known, and I'm excited to tell you more about his life today and how God worked through him. Pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for being here present. We thank you for your love and favor, and we pray that you now focus us, give us Uh, attentive hearts and minds so that we can receive what you have for us. And God, we ask you to speak to each and every one of us exactly where we are, where our life is today. Have a word for us that is the right word for the right season. And uh, show us your love and favor. Show us your direction. Show us your teaching. Show us what we need uh, to see from you today. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Those of you who know me pretty well, you know that I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not really a jock when it comes especially to team sports, especially when it comes to the beloved citywide sport of St. Louis, baseball. Um, in fact, this is the last piece of baseball equipment I have ever purchased or had purchased for me. This is my baseball bat from T-Ball. I had a wood burning set along the way too. I b- wood burned my name in here. And so, um, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know much about baseball really. I'm not, I've not played that much, but I do know a few things about baseball. Uh, I know, for instance, that when it's your turn, when you're up at bat, I, I know the idea is to hit the ball as far as you can and then to run fast. I know that about baseball. I also know home runs are especially good. Um, I, I know that when you're at bat, you've got three strikes, and after three strikes, you're, you're out. Uh, and then beyond that about baseball, I know where a lot of good hot dog stands are at Bush Stadium. <laughs> I found that out. You know, it's easy with baseball, isn't it? Three strikes and you're out. What about the rest of life? I mean, don't you wish it were that easy, that clear, to know when you're out, when you're disqualified, maybe in a relationship? Or what about even with God? See, we're kind of a people who are obsessed with lines. You know, what's the line where if you cross that line, it's the point of no return. You can't come back from it. What is that line? We talk about those lines in dating and intimacy. What's the line that if you cross, you know, how far is too far, that kind of thing? But even with God, I mean, this is a question I get all the time as a pastor. Uh, People have heard, a lot of people have heard that in the gospel somewhere, Jesus talks about this unforgivable sin. And everyone's like, hey, what's this unforgivable sin thing about? What, what is that all about? What does Jesus say about that? Because they want to know what the line is. Where, where is the line where if you cross it, you're out? What is the third strike for us in our relationship with God? It's, it's a question a lot of us are curious about. And today we're going to have a, a real-life case study over this whole question through this guy named Samson from the book of Judges. So we're going to look at Samson's life in Judges chapter 13. Um, We're going to start there. We're going to bounce around a few different places in Judges. You can open up your Bible. You can use your smartphone and go to uversion.com. You can look right up here on the the monitor. We've got it up here for you. Um, But you already know something about Samson. What do you know about Samson? Probably know two things about him. He's strong, one of you saying. And what else? Hair, right? Strong in hair. That's all you know about Samson. You're going to learn a lot more about him today. Um, In Judges chapter 13, starting at verse 1, here we go. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. We see this happening again and again throughout the Judges. If you've been here with us, this is a common refrain by now, right? 
Um, the Israelites, they turn aside from God. They do evil, which is really meaning they, they start worshiping false gods. They get involved in false worship. And, uh, and so God delivers them. He hands them over. He removes his protection from them so that they become ensnared by um, foreign, foreign people. And this time it's going to be the Philistines. Seen this all the time. So watch what God does now. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless. That is, she was unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, this hair thing, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So again, we see this pattern again and again, but this time something different is happening. The Israelites are under oppression, and what we've seen so far is, is usually God will go and tap some average Joe, average Jane on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to use you to rescue Israel. And usually they're a person who is not wired for it, as we heard Jeff talking about, not, not qualified for it, and yet God uses them in, in amazing ways. This time something different is going to happen. Did you catch it? This time, God isn't just going to some man or woman and saying, I've got a plan for you. He's going to a barren woman, and he's saying, I'm going to give you a child miraculously, and this child is going to be the one who eventually delivers Israel from their, uh, their slavery to the Philistines. I mean, this is remarkable. And not only is this woman going to have a child miraculously, but, but this child is going to be a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite, this may be a word you never heard of before. It's a special vow that people would undertake, usually for a season of their life. It consisted of those three things. Um, don't eat anything unclean. No fermented drink. So no, no beer, no wine, no, nothing fermented. And then um, no, what was the last one? No razor to your hair. Yeah. Uh, so uh, those three things were part of the Nazarite vow. Now, this is interesting because this child is going to be born under this vow. This is not going to be a temporary vow. It's going to be a lifelong vow. From even the time that he's in the womb, he's to live under this vow. So, so God is preparing to do something really miraculous, something really exciting, um, something really incredible is going to happen. Um, and so the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So, so he's born, the Spirit of God is stirring in him, good stuff is about to happen. And then let's check in, next chapter, Judges 14, verse 1, to see what's going on with this young phenom. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Just quick reminder, who were the Israelites in oppression under? Who was the foreign nation? The Philistines. Interesting. So I've seen this Philistine woman. Get her for me as my wife, mom and dad. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Or among all, all of our people, must you go to the uncircumcised, next verse, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. I mean, something's going on with this, this guy. I mean, here's this miracle child, this child born under a Nazarite vow. And here he is, you know, bossing his parents around, demanding that he be given a Philistine 
wife? This is a huge no-no for the Israelites, marrying foreign peoples. And, and just so you don't misunderstand, this isn't about racism or ethnocentrism or anything else. See, God, God is just trying to protect Israel from the same thing that all of our parents have tried to protect us from. Maybe you're in that season of life right now where, uh, you know, you start dating people and your parents get a little spazzy about it. Because what do parents know? Every parent knows that your future spouse will, will shape, will dictate your life path more than you would ever think. Right? Your future spouse, your spouse will have more of an impact on the person you become and the kind of life that you have and who you end up being than you would ever think when you're just dating people. And so God said to the Israelites, he said, you know what? Don't get entangled with foreign peoples because they worship foreign gods. And if you do that, it's going to lead you astray. Now, now Samson knew this. Everyone knew this. So what on earth is going on with Samson? That he'd be asking for a foreign wife. I mean, this is, this is bad news. Now, this is interesting. Look at verse 4. Kind of this parenthetical commentary here. It says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. It sort of makes it sound, I mean, this is really unclear. This sort of makes it sound like God was behind all this. Like, yeah, sure, Samson, just go ahead and take a foreign wife. And that's not the case at all. We'll see that later for sure. This is not God. This is Samson's idea. And yet what this is saying, and it's not very clear here, but what this is saying is that God is going to use this bad decision of Samson's for ultimate good. That's an important distinction all throughout the Bible. And sometimes it it seems a little fuzzy like this, but God never encourages people to do sinful things or bad things. But what God does is he shows his power by using sinful, bad decisions still to, to do what he wants to do a sign of God's great power, but don't get those two things confused. So uh, here, here's what happened. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. You just did that last week, right? I mean, just going around tearing goats. Uh, like, well, tearing a goat. Oh, yeah, well, that's easy. Weird. But he told us neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. I'm not going to say anything more about that. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Things are not going well for Samson right now. I just want to remind you, I mean, you may not see it yet, but I want to remind you of the three parts of the Nazarite vow. Uh, Nazarite vow consists of three things, okay? First, nothing unclean. Don't eat anything unclean. Second, no fermented drink. Third, no razor. Okay, so you got these three things. Nothing unclean, no fermented drink, no razor. So far, Samson is not only taking on an unclean wife from the Philistines, but, but he kills this lion. Later on in the lion's carcass, he sees bees making honey, and he goes with his unwashed hands, which this is big for Israelite people. You know, you don't eat with unwashed hands. It's big for some of us other West County people too, I'll just say that. Um, but you know, as he reaches his unwashed, unclean hand into a lion's carcass, scoops out honey. 
from a dead carcass and eats it and then gives some to his parents. I mean, strike one, right? Nothing unclean. I mean, he's, here he is eating honey from a dead animal. Totally not okay. And did you notice where this whole thing takes place? It was on the way to Timnah. There, there was a word highlighted. I just kind of passed over it. Did you notice it? The vineyards. The vineyards of Timnah. What's Samson doing walking into a bar if he's supposed to be staying away from fermented drink? You don't see it quite yet fully. It's kind of implicit here. But later on you'll see that Samson also violates this part of his vow. He's a guy who likes drink. Strike two. You know, beyond that, Samson's a guy who has got a temper. He's immature. He's demanding. He's bossy. He's entitled. Which makes us wonder, you know, what, 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 what went wrong with this guy? I mean, this guy was given a great start, a miraculous birth, this calling, this, this sacred status. How on earth did he end up, you know, violating so much of it so quickly in his life? Now, maybe you could blame his parents. Maybe they were entitling. Maybe they were pandering. You could blame him. You know, lack of self-control, bad judgment. Someone, I'm sure, could blame society. Someone always does. Maybe society's to blame. And you know what? All of that could be. Probably all of those things had something to do with it. But sometimes this is just what life does. This is how life goes. Isn't it? Sometimes um, life just has a way of leading us to a place that we never thought we would be. You know, Samson, somehow, he just, he ends up with this taste for the illicit that he just can't shake. He will crave things that are bad for him, things that he has been for, forbidden against. He, he will crave things that are dangerous for him. For such a strong guy, he will prove to be unbelievably weak. And you may not understand specifically Samson's weakness. You may not understand this weakness for, for women and, and, for, and for wine. You may not get it, but you don't have to. Just know that you've got something in your life that you struggle with that someone else doesn't understand either. Don't you? And even you, even you don't fully understand why it has so much power over you, and yet it does. You don't understand how it can be your, your, your weak spot, how it can be your Achilles heel, why it, it just seems to hold you hostage to its power and its control over you. I mean, we've all got something like that. May look different than Samson's. It may look different than the person sitting next to you, but we've all got a weakness like that. And for Samson, what we'll see is that this, this weakness, it, it really does prey upon him. And, and for such a strong guy, he is powerless to it. And it will wreak all kinds of havoc in his life and create all kinds of, all kinds of difficulty. But, but today, what I promised to do was I, I promised to show you that line, remember? I promise to show you what the third strike looks like when you've gone too far in your relationship with God and God finally disqualifies you. So, so that's where we have to go today. I'm going to skip through some of Samson's life and I'm going to Judges uh, chapter 16, starting at verse 4. Look with me here. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman. I mean, if you only knew how many times this has ha happened in Samson's life, he's fallen in love with a woman who's bad for him. Uh, in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was... 
There she is. You've been wondering when Delilah would show up. Samson and Delilah. So the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. So so these guys are frustrated with Samson because they've had a number of altercations and and God just keeps giving him strength and and he defeats all the Philistines and and they're like, this guy's got to have a weakness. Help us find it. And here's what we'll give you if you do this for us. If you betray him, Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. We're not sure how many guys were here, but there were more than a few. And each of them, each of the rulers of the Philistine city said, we will give you 1,100 shekels of silver each. I mean, this is a huge fortune. Look what Delilah does. So Delilah said to Samson, hey, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Innocent question, just curious, right? (laughs) Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought Delilah seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, so she got these Philistine guys stashed in the room, she called to to Samson. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. You know, wakes him up out of his sleep. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Delilah's not happy about this. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. And this goes on two more times. Each time Delilah says, you know, tell me, tell me if you love me, tell me. And Samson, he he plays with her. He gives her something that's not true. And she tries it out. And she does the same thing, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, and, you know, he breaks the thing and she's mad at him. Like, why aren't you telling me the truth? Why are you hiding this from me? Tell me, tell me. And she starts nagging him so fiercely that eventually he, he cracks. Now, some of you think I'm being unfair to Delilah or something, but uh, this is what it says. Look, with such nagging, with such nagging. <laughs> she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So she's just wearing him out. And he's like, fine. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite. He knows why. He, he, knows what, he knows what's going on here. He says, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. I mean, what's going on with Samson right now? Just think about this for a second. I mean, for my taste, this woman is far too eager to discover the secret of his strength. And by the way, Samson makes clear that the secret of his strength isn't magical hair. This isn't about magical hair. This isn't Rapunzel. What is this about? This is about this Nazarite vow. It is the sign of blessing that God has put over him. And God said, you know, to to remain in my blessing, do these three things. And so far we've seen that he's not observed the first He's gotten all into unclean things. He's drinking, he's drunk uh, fermented drink. And, uh, and now this is the last vestige of that Nazarite vow. But, but the thing for me with Samson is, is why on earth would he, why, why would he surrender this information to a woman who is not trustworthy like Delilah? Samson is not dumb. There's a reason he didn't tell her the truth the first few times. Why, why would he finally tell her the secret of his great strength? And I think it just goes to show us how far gone Samson was. That that he was willing to surrender all of this really important information in order to keep feeding his weakness. 
You know, he was willing to trade it all, everything that was important to him, in order to keep feeding those appetites he had within him. And, and again, you understand. And it may look different for you. It, it may be your appetite for recognition. Maybe your appetite for respect. Maybe your appetite for nice things. It, you know, you know your appetite. But we all know what that's like, this, this desire to just keep feeding it and feeding it. And, and Samson, he throws caution to the wind in order to keep feeding this appetite uh, because he's, he's enamored with Delilah. So when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, well, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. These are tragic words. Not only the idea that the Lord had left him, but this idea that Samson didn't even realize it. And see, this is what happens when we keep feeding into our weakness. The the descent is so slow, and you cross so many lines that you don't even realize how far you've allowed things to go until it's too late. Watch what happens next. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. So here you've got the great hero Samson, the strong man of Israel, the, the rescuer, the hero of Israel, the one who was, who was you know, given a miraculous birth and, and, and a great start in this, in this sacred vow. Here you've got Samson grinding grain for the very people that he was supposed to defeat. Samson, the guy who was supposed to destroy the Philistines, is now a prisoner of the Philistines, blinded with his eyes gouged out. See, this is what sin does. It complicates. God's plan for your life is for simplicity. God's plan for your life is blessing. And yet sin comes in and it complicates and it, and it gets us entangled and it, it causes all kinds of messy situations and all of these consequences and all of this pain. And, and sometimes we wonder, you know, why does God tell us all this stuff? Why, why does he say don't do this stuff and do this stuff? And it seems so arbitrary to us. But, but God is trying to warn us that sin complicates. He's trying to keep us from a complicated, pain-filled life. You know, maybe it was that the only reason God put Samson under a Nazarite vow is that he knew this man would be weak. And he knew what his weaknesses would be. And he was just saying, Samson, if you steer clear from these things, you're going to be fine. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be a powerful man. And yet Samson couldn't stay away. See, when God talks about sin, this is what he's trying to spare you from. All of the complication, all of the mess, all of the pain, all of the suffering that sin brings into our life, because God doesn't want any of that for us. So what about this question then? 
this question that we've been asking, this, you know, this case study of, about, how, you know, how do you know when you've been disqualified? How do you know? You know, has that happened for Samson? God took his spirit away. It sure seems like it. And, you know, I think if, if we were the judge and the jury, we'd say, absolutely, that, that guy is disqualified. He's a bum. Get him out of there, right? Because we, we have disqualified people like Samson all throughout our lives. People who show themselves to be weak, people who've got a, 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 a frailty, a flaw, people who've got an appetite that's out of control. We disqualify those people so easily, we don't even wait around for the third strike. I mean, they're out with the first strike. Whether you're talking about a politician or Christian leaders, it seems like celebrities are the only people we give a break for some reason. I mean, we do this all the time with people in our lives. We've done this with our, our spouses. We said, you know what, that, that's it. You're out of here. They're, man, you've crossed the line. You're done. We've done it with our kids. We've done it with our parents. We've done it with friends. I mean, there's no question for us. If we were the judge and jury, we'd say, absolutely, Samson's done. He's out of there. He is not fit to ever be used by God. He's certainly not fit to be a leader in Israel. Get him out of there. But we don't only do that for other people, do we? We do that for ourselves, too. I mean, how many of us have done things in our lives? How many of us have things in our past or struggles in our present that we believe disqualify us? We do this all the time. We, we believe that, you know, God, God couldn't use someone weak like me. I'm, I'm just too weak to be used. In fact, I, I'm just going to spare God a lecture and I'm just going to keep my distance and, and just uh, go about my broken life. But you know what? If, if that's your view of God, your view of God is way too small. And you understand absolutely nothing about grace. See, God doesn't act like we'd expect. He doesn't act like we do. Oh yeah, well then why does he take his presence away? You know, if, if Samson didn't cross the line, then, then why did God take his presence away? Why did God take his strength and leave him there victimless? Or, or why does God allow him to be punished and get his eyes gouged out and locked in a Philistine jail? I mean, certainly God is not happy with the guy and so he's letting him have it, right? Sometimes we are so backwards on these things. Uh, could it be that when God removes his presence from Samson, it's not because God is fed up and he's done with Samson, but could it be that God is finally giving Samson what he's been asking for all along? I mean, Samson, in, in so many ways, has been telling God to get lost. And maybe God finally obliged him. This is what you need to know about God. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He, he will woo us. He will invite us. He will entice us, but he will not force himself on us. And if we keep pushing him away, saying, get lost, get out of here, he may one day just do what we've asked him to do. Or this idea that, you know, this is punishment from God. Is this punishment or could this be an act of mercy? Because there are far worse things in life than getting caught. Am I right? Sometimes far worse than getting caught is getting away with it. Sometimes that's far more destructive. See, see we think that because of what happened to Samson, because of the place that, that he finds himself in, that, that means that God was done, God was fed up, God was washing his hands of Samson. And yet, even though we disqualify Samson without a doubt, I mean, in a minute, God's not done with him. 
I want to show you something. Uh, remember, Samson's in jail. He's blind. He's a prisoner to the Philistines. He's grinding grain for them. But look what happens. Verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. See, this isn't about magical hair again. What is this about? This is about redemption. God is not finished with Samson yet. Let me tell you what happens next. So, so Samson, he's a prisoner. And the Philistines, they have this, uh, they have, they have this, one day they decide to have this big feast to one of their gods. And so they all gather in the temple and all the Philistine royalty there is there in the priesthood and, and you know, all of the rulers are there and, and they're having this big feast and, and they're getting drunk and they decide, you know what, you know what would be awesome? Let's bring up that guy, Samson, the strong man of Israel. Let's bring him out so we can laugh at him. And so they drag Samson out and he's blinded and he's chained up and, and they bring him out there and, and they just, they bring him out there to laugh at him to laugh at how he has fallen and to hurl insults on him and, and even to insult his God and to say, look, isn't our God more powerful than the God of Samson? And you can just imagine how humiliating all this was for Samson. All the guilt, all the shame he felt in his life. And yet Samson does something very remarkable in that moment. Something that if, if you or I have ever been in that situation, we, we, we are so reluctant to do. He cries out to God. And he says, God, just put your spirit on me one more time. Give, give me strength one more time so, so that I can avenge myself in your name against these Philistine people. And, and he asks God boldly, he says, just give me your strength one more time. I've, I've messed up, but just give me your strength one more time. And God does. Put the spirit on Samson. Samson becomes strong again. He pushes the pillars of the temple apart. The whole temple falls down. And in that act, more Philistine rulers were put to death than throughout the whole rest of Samson's life. Israel, because of that, gets partially free from the Philistines. And yet, as you may guess, Samson loses his life. It's tragic, isn't it? It's, it's tragic that it has to end this way. I mean, this isn't how the rest of the judges went, right? I mean, usually the, the good guy wins. They live happily ever after for at least 40, 50, 60 years, and, and everything is good, but, but, but not here. Why? Because sin complicates. But I hope you can see as complicated as everything got, Samson wasn't disqualified. All he had to do was call out to God, and God was there. For him again. See, so, so you know what? I think far more dangerous than your weakness, and you may have a dangerous weakness. You may have a flaw that threatens you, your, your livelihood, your family. We've all got flaws. I don't know what yours is. But far more dangerous than your weakness or your flaw is this idea that we have in our head that, that God is somehow squeamish when it comes to our sin. That God is shocked or appalled when it comes to our sin. I mean, are you kidding me? Do you really think there's anything that you can do that would shock or appall God? I mean, don't, don't project your naivete of, of the human condition onto God. God understands. He understands what is in us. Now, now does, that, does our sin grieve God? Does it break his heart? Yeah, but not for the reason that you think. See, God's not all about laying a, a guilt trip like a parent would lay a guilt trip on people. It's, it's not about shaming us like a parent would. God's not going to say, oh, do you know what you're doing to break the heart of your mother? I mean, you hear that from people, and, and sometimes we think we hear that from God, but, but God's not in that business. 
See, the only reason God is grieved when we complicate our lives through sin and weakness is because it's hurting us. It's, 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 it's destroying this beautiful, simple, blessed life that he created us to have. It's for our sake. But you know, this idea that God is shocked or appalled or, or God doesn't want to see that and, and you're going to get a lecture, I mean, that is a lie from the devil. And I'll tell you why it's a lie from the devil. It's a lie from the devil for one reason. It's trying to keep you separated, to keep you silent, to keep you in hiding in your sin and shame instead of calling on the one who can rescue you. Just, just go back to the Garden of Eden for a minute. I mean, you know something about that place. And Adam and Eve, they eat the forbidden fruit and, and they realize what they've done and they're, they're trying to cover themselves and, and they're so ashamed. And so what do they do? They run and hide. And then what does God do? God comes walking in and they assume that God is coming to walk in to give them a big lecture and so they're hiding, they're cowering and he calls out to them. And, and what is he doing? He's, he's calling them out of their hiding. He's trying to call them out of their sin and shame. He's trying to tell them that although there are going to be consequences for this action, he's got a plan of redemption, and, he, and yet they're hiding. Because they believe God is going to be shocked. He's going to be so upset. He's going to be so appalled. And is God grieved? Yeah. But not for the reason we think. God actually walks in because he's got the power to rescue them. And then 2,000 years ago, God did it again. I mean, he walked into this world of unprecedented weakness. And this time he walked in in flesh. And he came not to give us a lecture or to bring condemnation. He walked in to call us out of hiding, to bring us out of our sin and guilt and shame. He came to bring us back to him. I mean, do you not realize what the death and the resurrection of Jesus means for you? It means there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. That, that you don't have to hide. See, see, if we could just get rid of this idea that God's going to be so disappointed, we've so disappointed him, we just got to keep our distance. If we could just get rid of that, and, and when we're weak, when we're broken, if we could just realize that nothing can disqualify us from God's love, nothing. Because Jesus made sure that, that the way was paid, that there would be nothing that would separate us. If we could just realize that, then even in our weakness, we would have the grace that we need. In our weakness, we would have the strength that we need. In our weakness, we would experience the power of transformation. So, so here's the thing. I mean, we're all over the map here today. We've all got weaknesses. They're all different. We've all got our, our, our fatal flaws. And some of you today, you're in here and you feel strong. You feel like your weakness is way back in the rearview mirror. You feel strong today. You're loving life. Some of you feel very, very weak. Like that weakness has its, uh, the upper hand on you in life right now. So some of you feel close to God. Some of you feel very distant, like God wants nothing to do with you and, and, and you haven't talked to him in a while. Here's what I want you to know. No matter where you are, nothing can disqualify you from God's love. And, and the best thing you can do today, wherever you are, is not to hide in sin, not to hide in shame, not to hide in guilt. The best thing you can do today is to do what Samson did. And it may be just a whisper. It may be a cry. It may be a lavish prayer. But the best thing you can do is to cry out to God knowing that your weakness 
has not disqualified you, your, your failure has not disqualified you, that God not only loves you, but he can still use you. But don't hide. Don't keep your distance. Instead, call out to the one who's got the power to forgive you, to cover you, and to heal you. That's what I want us to do right now. So will you stand up, please?